we want to put our words in God's hands. And we're going to see three things from this text. The reason that we should, if you have not read the book of James, you should. You can read it today. Very, it's, it's a short book, only five chapters, and it's incredible. It's an excellent book. It's super practical. And what James has just been talking about in chapter two, he's been talking about works, good works, right? You, you've heard people say faith without works is dead. James is talking about what it looks like when the gospel has taken a hold in our life. And he continues talking about our, uh, these works with our words. And, and the first thing that we learn about words and why we need to put them in God's hands is that words can be, number one, out of control. Words could be out of control. I wonder if anybody remembers that, um, that hero pilot. I think they called him Sully. His last name was Sullinger. I don't remember his first name. Um, uh, pilot Sullinger, right? So what happened is... They're flying in this plane, normal flight. A flock of birds flies into the engine. Now, when I realize a flock of birds could just down a flight, I'm like, should I be flying places? But a flock of birds flies into the engines. They lose the engines, and so now he's going to have to crash land this plane. So at this point, hundreds of people's lives are in danger. What he does is he, he lands it on the water safely, and nobody is hurt. And so he's thought of as a hero because there was a situation where everything was out of control. He gained control and saved lots of lives in a situation that could have been much more dangerous. What James is saying is there's a situation that could be very dangerous when you have words, a powerful weapon that you're slinging around out of control. What you need to do by the Spirit of God is to take control of them. I want you to hear what he says. And because what he says in verse 1 here about teachers is going to show us the, the, the weight of how, how um, powerful words are. Verse 1, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. James, that's an interesting warning for him to start with there because teaching is a good thing, right? You know, it is a little um, crazy to be teaching where he's like, not many of y'all should do this because you're going to be judged. Um, but the reason he says that is because... Um, one, the power and the influence of those who open God's word and say this is what God has said, but also because people who teach say a lot more words. And what Scripture says is we're going to have to answer to God for every single word that we speak. So he's saying, I need you to understand, there is, um, God will look at what we've said and we will be judged for that. He will assess our words and it will have an impact on when we stand before God in our eternity. So some of y'all might be saying, well, good, I ain't trying to teach anyway. That's for y'all. It look hard, have fun. But he's not saying that the rest of us won't be. He's saying those who teach will be judged more harshly. I think part of what he's doing is showing, no, this is serious. He wants you to see the weight, the scale of the issue it had. So much so that something as not right with elders, he says, it's a, whoever desires to be an elder, that's a noble task. He talks about honoring shepherds of the flock who teach, but he's saying, I need you to know, because of the weight that comes with saying words, and a lot of them, not many of y'all should do that. It's a lot of social media pastors. You know, I think some people can think of, if there are people who like something, and I'm good at talking, people like God, I can just talk about that. James is saying, no, 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 not a lot of y'all should do that. So, you know, one quick application of this is pray for your pastors. 
those who stand up on this stage and preach the word. Pray for them. Because those words have great power and influence. They'll have to answer to God for them. Also, teaching is hard. You know, so, pe- so people are saying, I know there's more judgment, but I want to serve God's flock. People say, I know this is really hard, but I still want to do it. I want y'all to pray for them, to thank God for them. When someone opens a word and helps you to see God more clearly. I had a friend call me last night, a pastor friend, was like, Trip, I just need you to help me as I'm talking through this sermon because I don't know what I'm about to do. I don't know, what to, I don't know where to go with this text. This, like, you don't get to see the laborers that go in to the people who stand on this stage and preach God's word. I want you to pray for them. Mo said, amen. Um, the other thing is this. Um, don't think that just because you're not teaching, you will not have to answer to God for every single word you say. Do not, do not believe the lie that you don't have great influence with the words that you use. You still do. It's just a different kind of influence. You know, uh, of course, Jesus says, to whom much is given, much is required. That's part of why there's harsher judgment. Or, you know, where he said, with great power comes great responsibility. That's actually Spider-Man. I was just seeing if he was paying attention. <laughs> but even beyond teachers, we will be judged for our speech. Um, you know, Matthew 13, uh, I tell you, everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. The text is saying there will be a day when we stand before God, the judge, and our words, the things we have said, will show up as witnesses, either arguing for us or against us. Now, I want you to think of all the words you're saying throughout the day. He says every empty word. Whenever we speak, whenever we use words, we should do so as if God is in the room because we will have to answer to him for everything. Or, you know, we should think when we have a a conversation, we should almost be like, what if I had to do like a a post-game press conference right after this and answer for every word I said and all the decisions I made? We should think carefully about how to use our words. Um, Look at verse 7. Because this is part of the out-of-control piece. He says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. That is strong language, bro. He says, your tongue is a wild animal that needs to be tamed. It's easier to tame a tiger than it is to tame the human tongue, which is... Crazy. I mean, part of the reason we can tame animals is because, you know, they're driven by instinct. We can figure out what they like, give them rewards for particular things. But as we know, it's not easy to tame an animal. The only reason we have to is because if we're going to coexist with them, we have to find a way. You know, if you want a dog in your house, well, you don't want that dog to tear your house up. So you have to find a way to teach that dog not to do that. Part of what he's saying is that there are things that our tongues will do if uncontrolled. If you do not train your dog, it will tear your house up. I've seen some people who thought they were training animals. I've seen a dude who started a TikTok video with an arm, and (laughs) when it was over, he only had about half of that arm. He was like, no, 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 me and this alligator are cool. I'm like, all right, I hope them likes was worth it, bro. But here's what he's saying. Even harder than taming wild animals is taming the human tongue. Our tongues can be out of control. I wonder if you, have you ever like said something and while it was still coming out your mouth, you was like, I shouldn't have said that. You <laughs> was like, you instantly started a hurricane the moments it came out. If you married, you especially notice. 
This happened to me the other week. As I didn't even reach the end of the sentence, and I was like, I shouldn't have said that. That was not helpful to the situation. I think we, I think we sometimes think that our words, I don't know, we, we don't hold it to the same standards of discipleship that, that Jesus does. Sometimes we treat our words as if uh, it's just pure self-expression. This is what I was feeling in the moment. Or sometimes we feel like, nah, it's true, though. If it's true, I can say it. Or maybe we're just venting. What Scripture's saying is, no, 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 those words are very powerful. We cannot let our tongues have a mind of their own, right? I, um, part of what he's telling us um, is that the tongue is dangerous. And, and I want you to ask yourself, what makes us sometimes be completely out of control of our words? You know, sometimes it's just anger. Sometimes it's just pure anger. Sometimes it's insecurity. There have been times when I said stuff I shouldn't have said, and it's because I was feeling insecure, and I was trying to assert myself in some way that I didn't need to. Sometimes it's pride. Whatever it is, he's saying we need to figure that out so we can be in control of our words. It can do a lot of damage. He says it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. He says it's restless. It's always, it's, it's like a dog on a leash who's always constantly trying to attack. And he says, you got to keep it under control. And he says, you know, it's full of deadly poison. Some of us um, lose control of our words with loved ones all the time. And we're like, it just is what it is. It's just part of life. We say words that will wound, that will scar. Well, he says the tongue is full of a deadly poison. Would you hand your loved ones a cup full of deadly poison? And move on the next day like it's nothing. He says we have to have control of them. He says we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect or mature, able to keep their body in check. He's saying the tongue is so difficult to control. If you can control your tongue, you can control your whole body. It's kind of like, you know, people saying about New York, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. He's like, if you can tame your tongue, I think there's some self-control there. I think some of us think of ourselves as very mature. Like, I'm mature. I love God. I be serving people, but we love to gossip. He's saying, that ain't maturity. What we say, our tongue is a good indication of who we are. You know, our words are almost like a, they're our representative. It's like our PR person. It's the quickest way to be able to see what's going on inside of somebody. Verse 26 uh, in chapter 1, he says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. Their religion is worthless. And he does acknowledge that we all stumble, but he's saying God has called us to that self-control. So I want to encourage you to try to control your tongue because that discipline that it takes to control your tongue will show up in all of your life. It's like when you, you know, lift heavy weights, it allows you to become stronger. Weights may be the thing that you're lifting, but those muscles that you build allow you to do other things. That discipline that comes with controlling your tongue shows up in every area of your life. We need to put our words in his hands because our words can be out of control. Number two, we need to put our words in his hands because the tongue is stronger than it looks. The tongue is stronger than it looks. It's never a good idea to underestimate somebody. You know, one of the clearest pictures of someone being underestimated and then proving them wrong to me is Steph Curry. When Steph Curry um, 
who, when he came into the NBA, I mean, he looked like a 13-year-old child. And they said, he's too small, he's too weak, he can't finish. You cannot put your team in the hands of a guy like this, which is hilarious in hindsight. He, he took a meeting with Nike, and Nike messed up the meeting. They actually had somebody else's name on the slide. They blew it. They didn't see him as a threat either, so they were like, oh, it's fine. And obviously, Steph Curry has turned into maybe the greatest point guard of all time, greatest shooter of all time. He was underestimated. What, what James is saying is we can do the same thing with the tongue. He's saying the tongue, you know, is such a small part of the body and our words. We can underestimate the strength and the damage that can be done. Look at verse 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Well, take ships as an example. Although they are so large, driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest fire is set by a small spark, right? He keeps making this point. The tongue is small, but it can do big things. Think about horses. Horses are massive animals. When I see a horse, I'm like, I can't believe we found a way to convince them to do what we want. <laughs> and every now and then they remind you somebody's standing too close. But they are these huge, strong animals. And then the way that we control them is, you know, it's connected to the reins. It's this bit in their mouth that goes between their front teeth and their back teeth. And all it takes is a, is a little bit of pressure. And they move away from the pressure. We found a way to use something small to control this very big animal. This tiny thing, this bit, is incredibly strong when it comes to that horse. He gives another example, a ship. Uh, a ship has this rudder, and when you, it's, it's almost like a little uh, wing that's on the bottom of the ship. If you are here and you are a boat captain, you're going to be like, you ain't explaining this good. <laughs> but they don't know, Captain. Anyway, so, uh, and when you turn that rudder, the way that it interacts with the water makes the ship turn. Again, this is a very small thing, but it interacts with the water pressure in a way that turns the whole ship, something very small with very large power. Right, and he's using these examples to say, I know you think of the tongue. I know you think of your speech as something small. I want you to know it has gigantic impact. It's a lot stronger than it looks. The tongue is a small part of the body. I wonder if you ever think about the power of your words, especially since there's words echoing everywhere all the time. I think we probably, I mean, we may be only thinking about face-to-face -face interaction, but this includes texts and social emails, voicemails, just playing, nobody uses that, but you know what I mean. Every word that we, that we send out, he's saying, is very powerful. Um, listen to Proverbs 18, verse 21, it says, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Um, the tongue has the power of life and death. Think about the power of words. We choose presidents based on their words, what they say about what they do. When we get married, we make wedding vows to make promises about what we do. We use our words. When you think about words are revolutionary, you think about great movements, and when you think about the civil rights movement, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Martin Luther King's speeches, words. Words are not the only thing that's powerful, but words are very powerful. They change the course of history. If our president said one wrong, uh, one wrong word about the wrong other superpower, the whole world could go to war. Words are very powerful, and some of us know the power of words on a much more intimate level 
I think all of us do. Some of us, we remember a teacher who encouraged us one time that sent us on a good path. We can remember the exact words they said. Some of us can remember the first time that somebody told us we weren't good enough, and that has sat on our soul every year of our life since. Words have the power to start that marriage when people make vows. Words have the power to end the marriage because of how hurtful somebody is. Words have the power to make bonds with people that should not be made. Words have the power to set things into motion that should not be set in motion. Words have the power to stifle encouragement and joy in other people's lives. I want you to understand your words have power, and it's not just the ones that you think of as important. Some important meeting. The words you say on the way out the house are powerful. The words you say when your kid spills their juice for the fifth time are powerful. Right? There are some people who... who are afraid to mess up because they were berated verbally by their parents every day for every small mistake. What he's saying is these words are powerful. Verse 6, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Remember people say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. They lied. Of course, they can't break bones and bruise flesh, but we're not just made up of a physical body. Words have power. And he says, um, a world of evil among the parts of the body corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life um, on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Part of it is because of how words are an expression of who we are. But part of what he's saying is that little small spark that could uh, light this great fire is a good picture of words. I, I, I saw a video from the Maui wildfire. It burned down an entire town, right? I think at one point there were a 1,000 people missing. I don't think they've even caught up with the death count. And they think it may have been just a power line that fell. Small spark, incredible devastation. Now, when we use our words recklessly, we are not thinking we're trying to tear down someone's entire life. But this is why we have to put our words in God's hands. And, you know, he says... uh, It's a world of evil. It is itself set on fire by hell. He's saying that evil will send your words out to do evil things. The easiest way to grab a hold of you and to do something evil is to send your words out to do evil things. He's saying there is a kind of a direct pipeline between words and hell and evil and destruction. And our words can easily be used for that. I want you to think of your words as weapons that can be used for good things or bad things. They're tools. Or you can think of it like an an employee that you're sending out to accomplish what you want to do. What are the things you want to send your words out to do? Or or, uh, speech could be almost like a toolbox where you have lots of different tools in there. You got an Allen wrench, you got a Phillips head screwdriver, you got a saw, you got a hammer. I'm not very handy. That's all the tools I know. But you use those for different things. They have specific purposes. We should be thinking of our words. We should be going into situations thinking, how can I use my words to build somebody up in this situation? How can I use my words to help my kids to know Jesus? How can I use my words to encourage my spouse today, right? And these are tools that we want to use very carefully. Proverbs 12, 18, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. What if you had the gift of healing that was using your words to build somebody up? We don't want to pierce. We want to heal. 
Some of us are like, man, I don't even know what that would look like to be thinking of my words. That's because some, you know, some players in the NBA who shoot a lot of shots and they score a lot just because they took a lot of shots are high-volume shooters. Some of us are high-volume shooters with our words, and I would encourage us to be more slow to speak and more efficient with them. Some of us just be doing this all day. And sometimes this is why James says we should be quick to listen and slow to speak. It's hard to love somebody when you've never heard them talk before. But when you stop to listen and think about how to use those words efficiently, well, um, you can encourage, you can teach, you can counsel, you can help people. You know, have you ever been at a really low moment and somebody encouraged you with words? Yes. Some of the most encouraging moments of my life have been people using their words to build me up, to remind me of God's promises. Right, using their words to teach me something that I didn't know how to do. I remember when I moved to Philly, I didn't know um, how to dig my car out of the snow. First of all, I was like, I thought I liked snow when I was a kid. I don't like this, though. And I had a friend who, with his words, taught me how to do that. It took me a few times, but I got it. Words are very powerful. We want to use them for good things. And, you know, sometimes it helps me going into a situation. You know, maybe I'm going to work. It helps me to think, what would God have me do today? How can I build up those around me? How can I bless them? How can I seek their good with my words? If I just am just walking in all these situations, I'm not thinking about how to use my words. Sometimes it helps for me to stop and to pray just before I go into a room. Lord, what would you have me do? And then I can be thinking carefully about it. Because, you know, sometimes I'll walk into a room and my, my, uh, my reflex is to seem impressive, to say something that's funny or say something that's or say something that makes people know the things that I think I'm good at. What a waste of my words. That instead of using my words to build them up, I'm using my words just to build up my own ego. I'm using them instead of loving them in that moment. If we would stop and think, what would God have me do? Sometimes when you're going into work, maybe what you can do with your words is just do your job good. To communicate clearly in a way that helps them to do their job well, that's a good way to use your words. Sometimes we want to use our words to challenge people. So using our words well doesn't mean we never say anything hard to people. It means that we think very carefully about the tools that we're using. We want to put our words in his hands. Um, last thing is this. We want to put our words in his hands because words can be, our tongue can be inconsistent. It can be inconsistent. Inconsistency is very strange. It's very strange when someone acts one way sometimes and completely different the other time. The clearest picture of this to me is Tupac. Tupac will have these beautiful odes to the beauty of black women and then call them out their name in every way possible in the very next song. You see this strange back and forth, this inconsistency that throws you off about him. Also, he has a tattoo that says, thug life, but it's right above his belly button. Very inconsistent. Those two things don't go together. Um, inconsistency throws us off. And what he's going to say is inconsistency with your speech and how you use your tongue is not something that honors the Lord. This is what he says. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. And the way that this happens is that people are, of course, complex, Right? We don't always feel the same in every moment. What he's saying is, because words are so powerful, we should use them carefully. And it's strange for praises and curses to come out of the same mouth. James is always talking to us about being double-minded and how that doesn't honor God. Speech is the clearest and most explicit 
representation of who you are, of what's going on in your heart. This is why Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's almost like, uh, you know, if you're holding a cup and you trip and you spill it, whatever comes out is going to be what's in that cup. You, you don't trip with water and then some bourbon comes out. That's not how that works. Whatever's in there is what comes out. So when you snap at your spouse, whatever comes out is what was in your heart. It's a very clear... Our speech is almost like an x-ray that shows us what's going on in our soul. Now, maybe if you thought more carefully, those are not the words you would want to say, but that was in your heart. At the very least, what was in your heart was the intention to hurt somebody. What he's saying to us is that kind of double-mindedness in our speech isn't good. Now, when he's talking about cursing, he's not talking about using bad words. I, I hope we all understand that you can do damage to people while still using good words. I think some of us think, oh, what, what Scripture um, wants me to do in my speech, this is especially when we first come to Jesus, we're like, I ain't going to say no cuss words no more because I love Jesus. But I'm going to tear down all the people around me without using... the the. The code of speech ethics in Scripture is not about a list of words you may say or not say. It's about what you're sending those words out to accomplish. So this is why in Ephesians 4, he says that our speech should be sent out, right, to give grace to those who hear. So that you're responsible not only just for the words you say, but also uh, the impact those words have on other people because they're very powerful. We can use our words to give grace to people. This is what he's called us to. Words are good, right? And he's talking about blessings, blessing someone, seeking their good with your words, or curses. We should not spend our words on curses. The strangeness of cursing someone or, or wanting ill for them and they're made in God's image is very strange, right? The way that I sometimes think of um, God's image in other people is, um, and how clear it shows us how we think about God would be like if you came in my house, there was a picture of my mom, you took that picture and you threw it on the ground. I'd be like, what did my mom do to you? It's like, I don't know, it's not nothing with your mom, it's just that picture. It's like, that's a picture of my mom. This is a representation of her that you're treating like trash. What God says is he's made us in his image. We are representations of him, reminders of him, of what he's like, of his power and his glory and his dominion over all the earth. And so when we curse someone made in his image, a reflection of him, it shows how we feel about him. So he's saying it's very strange that you would praise God and curse an image of God in the same breath. And this is where he starts to say those two things should not be coming out of the same place. You know, he talks about springs. Uh, springs, of course, is just water that comes out of the ground. It's pushed out because of gravity or some other kinds of pressure. But of course, whatever's coming out is what's already down there in the spring. So I think the best way for you to begin to watch your words, to, to control your speech, is to work on your heart. What's happening in that spring? Right? The worst time to train for a boxing match is after the boxing match has already started. At this point, if you're not ready, you're out. And some of us wait until the moment of intense conflict to then begin to try to watch our words. What I want to say is you want to work on the heart. Where are those words coming from? And those words are very powerful. So sometimes I want to encourage us to be like, I know we're about to have a hard conversation. Give me a few minutes to collect my thoughts. You know how big of a difference that can make in you honoring God with your words and in your relationships. You want to tend to that spring. 
Scripture says the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. We want to put our words in God's hands. Now, some of you may say, man, Christians are always talking about giving everything to God. My identity is in Christ. That's his. Right? I've died to myself, and now I'm in him. Why can't I be myself anymore? And we're not saying that, but what we're saying is God's hands are the responsible ones to put them in. And we know that from his track record. What, what would God do with your words in his hands? One of, one of the ways that we can see that is we can see what God has done with his word throughout all of creation. First, he spoke creation into existence with his word. That's the kind of God you can trust with your words in his hands. He called out a small people for himself with his words, right? He made promises to them with his words. The Lord Jesus came to earth. The word became flesh. The Lord Jesus told us the truth of the gospel with his words. As John reminded us the other day, on the cross, he wasn't calling down curses, but calling down blessings on us and on those around him with his words. He's someone we can trust to put our words in his hands. And here's the thing about God. I think something that keeps a lot of us from God is we think of God as just another voice in the chorus of condemning voices that's came at us our whole life. Some of us have dealt with people saying the wildest stuff to us that has harmed us in deep ways. And we think of God as another unapproving face, another unapproving voice who only wants to shout condemnation at us. I want you to know that is not the God of Scripture. That the God of Scripture calls us to himself and then speaks sweet words over us. Like there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Like we are justified and made righteous in his sight. Like I'll never leave you and never forsake you. Those are the kind of words that this God speaks over us. So when I say put your words in his hands... It's a God who we've seen what he does with words. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I want you to know this. There is a God who longs to speak encouraging, grace-filled, forgiving, joyful words over you for all of eternity. Scripture even talks about God delighting in us and singing over us in that delight. That's the God that we're talking about here today. Matter of fact, just as a very quick exercise, I want y'all to shout out some of the promises of God that he's promised us in Scripture. Come on. Never leave us or forsake us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What was that over there? We're more than conquerors in Christ. These are the sweet, encouraging, joy-filled words that this God speaks over us. And God is a perfect example of using words that have the power of life and death for life-giving things. We need to put our words in God's hands. So our words are powerful. You know, he compares it to fire. And, you know, I started off talking about matches that can be used for good things and they can be used for bad things. My encourage is let's use this powerful fire, not to burn things down, but to bring warmth and goodness and joy and life to every situation that we're in, while knowing that there's a God who, even when we fall short, speaks encouraging words of forgiveness and love and kindness and commitment to us in the midst of it. In a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and when we do that, I want you to remember that it's at the Lord's Supper that the Lord reaffirms kind words to those who already know him, reaffirms his word of commitment, who reminds us that Jesus is coming back uh, one day, who reminds us that Jesus stood in our place, who reminds us that that sin that we feel shame and guilt about, he's already paid the price to take that shame and that guilt away. 
I want you to remember those are the words that he speaks over us. I'm going to pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way you've spoken to us. We thank you that we've heard the word of Christ. That's where faith comes from, God. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to honor you with how we use the very powerful weapon. It is our words. We ask all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.